everyone, to our very first episode of the new year. This is Swing Thoughts. I'm uh, Humble Howard, golf spiritual leader, obviously, along with Coach Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Tim and I just had a, uh, I don't know, 45-second conversation about, <laughs> about what year it was in our journey. <laughs> I said to you, I said after 45 seconds, we should be having this conversation on the show because neither of us could come to a conclusion as to how long we've been doing it. <laughs> exactly. And I was even, I had to count it on my fingers. That's right. <laughs> At so, one point, you were using all your fingers. All my digits. Um, I don't dispute that we've been doing it a good long time, but your hypothesis is that we did some practice shows in 2015. And then we actually started it as a regular gig in 2016. I, I don't know. Uh, yes, you, you, it's, it's not a hypothesis. That would be a good guess. It's based on data, young man. <laughs> okay. If you look at iTunes, um, our earliest show, 2016. Yeah. So, like I said, I counted on my fingers. 16, 17, 18, 19, I know, 20, but I, I don't think we started in 2015 is my point. You're saying we did. We did our did. experimental shows. No. We did our shows in which you... No, that wasn't the... No. That was... I think it was late 2015. We called up Lauren Rubenstein, and we did this chat on an experimental basis in which Howard was basically going, do I want to invest any time with this person <laughs> doing a podcast? Well... And, Somehow, I kind of passed the test, or you went, mm, maybe I can teach him some stuff. <laughs> well, whatever it is, it's a new year. I'm going to go research yes. this after. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, this isn't the hill I want to I wanna die on. If, on. The point is, it's a long time, and this, yes. conversa- <laughs> this conversation will explain how long it is. Uh, well, Happy New Year, Tim. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Friday, January 8th, while we're recording this. And the uh, Century Tournament of Champions just began yesterday in Hawaii. And it, it seems like a good time for us to do our first show of the new year. Can we agree on that? I Yes, we agree on that. There's no hypothesis there. The year has begun. Yeah. Yeah. I um I don't even know who's uh is anyone who's in the lead and all that good stuff. Uh, you know I don't know. I, I last night I came home and uh, watched it for I don't know maybe off and on for a couple hours. I like to watch it when it's in Hawaii. You know, kind of the vistas are beautiful and it makes oh. it kind of speaks to your golf soul a little bit. Even though yes. the winter hasn't been its usual bleak self. <laughs> I what I find about the, the the champions tournament is how far they hit the ball down those hills there. No, I know. You know, Bubba Bubba Watson. Oh, that's a four hundred and twenty yard drive. Uh, Dustin Johnson corked it. You know, I don't know. I, I think what's interesting is is uh, well, this morning I was looking at uh, some editorial content. And they posited, what are the key stories of uh, 2020? Yeah, I, I have that article key, in front of me, actually. Yeah, I think one of those, the key ones is going to be, uh, what's the next saga in the Bryson DeChambeau show? Mm-hmm. You know, And, and have, have other guys beefed up? Are they doing the protein shakes thing? Are they going to be, is it, it's going to be about distance again this year? 
Don't know. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. I, I have some thoughts on that, including um, uh, an interesting perspective from the guy that I love at the Golf Channel, Brandel Chambly. The Golf Channel has changed. There's some news out of uh, the Golf Channel, uh, as you know or may not uh, may not know. I'm sure you do. Um, you know, they've moved. They've left Orlando. Yeah, they're up like uh, near Connecticut, aren't they? Well, they're in the NBC um, complex. A uh, lot of staffers. I've seen this on social media. Some staffers from the Golf Channel ready to spill the beans about Ooh. you know what life was really like there. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. Brandel Chambly had an interesting perspective on distance. Uh, as far as uh, the, the storylines of the new year, we can get to some of those. I know you had some things on your agenda. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I mentioned, it's the 8th of January, and two days ago, for, I don't know, the 30th time in four years, I said, well, you never seen that before. <laughs> you know, it was like, what? At least not since the Civil War. <laughs> you know, there's, thank goodness, I don't even know where to start. Like you said to me off the before we started recording that Fred and I must have spent a good amount of time. I spent... Uh, Almost all Wednesday afternoon until well into the evening watching it. And then I spoke about it for just hours yesterday morning on the Humble and Fred show. Mm-hmm. So I would just ask you, like, what are your thoughts? You're a grown man. You're, you know, in your early 60s. We've been around this planet for a while. What were your thoughts? And, um, you know, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, first of all, I, it made me really sad. It really did. It was like, oh my gosh! But it was all. And I was. I was also angry, and it was like, well, what did you think was going to happen? You had a guy who was just telling his base of believers that the election was ripped away, stolen, on and on and on, and all these basically incendiary comments. You know, come this day, it's going to be wild, and well, that's what happened. <laughs> And so I wasn't surprised in the least, um, but it was so disturbing, absolutely crazy, uh, really to see like you know the United States like any kind of banana republic, and um, just it just made me so angry, and I could drone on about it, um, but it was just like I w- I wasn't surprised in the least, quite frankly. With all the stuff that he's been saying, yeah, I'm, I'm you know don't have a lot to add. If you want, you know, I mean, not that I don't want to have the conversation. It's just I'm, you know, I I would I would direct uh, listeners of this podcast if you want to hear what you know Fred and I you know spent a good portion of the show dissecting and talking about and our feelings. Uh, you know, I think the same as you. I think I, you know, I I was on a it's weird that thing that happens to comedians when when stuff mm-hmm. gets w- weird. Like I I've tweeted more Wednesday afternoon into the evening with other comic friends of mine. Like it was a frenzy because it was happening in real time and we were all sort of taking our best shots. <laughs> One of my friends from L.A., very funny comedian. A lot of listeners here in Canada can hear him on CBC's Debaters. His name is John Wing. Oh and yeah, John's a funny guy. Actually, John was on our show. Absolutely. So John tweeted at one point, I've only hated four people in my life, and three of them are Lindsey Graham. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
You know, it was so for me. It was all those things. It was this. I, I tweeted. It's this is the saddest version of America that I've ever seen, and yeah. and on and on. And you know, whether it's Rudy Giuliani in the morning at the like, you know, Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump Jr. warmed up for uh, the president, and it was Giuliani that said to the crowd, "Trial yep. by combat." I know, I know. So, and I'll tell you, my biggest takeaway. For me, what made me the angriest, because I was, yeah, it saddened me. And I thought, wow, you know, this is what a commentary on this ridiculous place. But what made me angriest is all those white people walking into that building. And if they had been black, they would have been mowed down. None of them. You know, there's all this video of these police letting them through or or not you know forget if you think they let them in the fact that they didn't you know throw them to the ground and kneel on their necks is what made me angry i kept thinking wow man i wasn't the only one i know a lot of people thought this yeah um but yeah it's like what a what a broken broken country you know Oh, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I was thinking of, though, is that I think for a lot of people, you know, the 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 people who enabled, abetted Trump, like Loeffler and Georgia, a, a lot of these people, Josh Hawley, like, yeah, I, Ted well, Cruz, Josh, Josh Hawley stayed with them. So there's so, but my the point I was going to make is that <laughs> I was thinking of the movie Fargo. So the the character played by William Macy, he wants to basically. He's, he's deluded. He's living in this fantasy world, and he decides he wants to get out of it and, and get his wife out. So he he contracts these two thugs, and what he learns as he deals with them is, oh my gosh, they are in a different universe. He mm-hmm. couldn't imagine like this. He's now with Satan, and I think that for a lot of Republicans, when this whole thing came down on Wednesday, it was like, oh my gosh. You know, it, it, you know, not to be biblical, but it's just like the monster. Look what the monster has has wrought. Mm-hmm. Like this is what it's come to, and so so my comparison to Fargo is like, oh my god, this is really what it's about. Like this this craziness, this ransacking, and all of that beyond imagination until it became super real. And I have a sense that so my. Um, the thing that gives me a degree of optimism about this is that now the Republicans, you really got to look yourselves in the mirror. And I think there'll be a split in the party. And my sense is that um, you'll have some people who are going on. You got the Josh Hollies, the Cruises, they'll continue their Neanderthal ways. But the there's a group, I think, that have kind of went, okay, we got to rebuild this thing. You, you know, I don't know. You do. I'm not. I'm quite obviously a bleeding heart liberal, but you need conservatives to some degree, and the conservatives will. I'm hoping they're going to kind of regroup, and the, and the, and the Republican Party that's been going for the last, you know, twenty years or so will that'll disintegrate and it'll be a new, a new party. Okay. Is that um, Pollyanna thinking? No, I was. You know, rose-colored glasses. You don't need my validation for how you what your opinion no, is. I just want you to respond to it. All right, easy there, fella. <laughs> easy now. It's just taking a second just to, to drink it all in. There was a lot of stuff there. I don't know where I, you know, where I need to respond to. I that's a fantastic way of thinking. I don't. 
there's a lot what you I mean I don't honestly and I don't mean to diminish this conversation anyway but there's just there's not a lot we can add I can add that you know is of any you know any new you know point of view I mean there are certain little snippets of things that I you know I thought were interesting well I'm interested in what you feel about it well I I, I told you I was very sad about it I was very angry you know yeah. it got, I was fascinated by it you know, every time in the last few years, I thought, well, I guess this is like 9-11 all over again. Mm-hmm. You know, the you'd think that a worldwide pandemic would have been enough to, you know, sort of occupy the zeitgeist for a while. But Donald Trump has, a man, has managed to make... By the way, I, will, I would want to recommend a, a great documentary. You'll laugh your ass off. It's called Farewell 2020. Mm. And uh, the reason I thought of it is because it basically is a look back at the last year in a sort of mockumentary fashion. But the, the the funny thing is, all the events are real. Donald Trump and the 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 bleach and the playing down the pandemic. And it's not just about Trump. I mean, they're very funny. They they talk about Joe Biden. You know, when he was around during the Civil War, and you know, it's really it's really really funny. Um, so my, my feelings about it all are just that that. You know, we've never seen anything like this. Um, white people are treated differently than black people in America. Uh, a lot of white people are, you know, it's easy to think those people that stormed the, the Capitol that day are just terrible people, but they're not. They're just people that don't feel like they have a voice anymore. And the funny thing is they, they don't know who to blame. And so what they were, you know, what Donald Trump did is what a lot of despots do and, and dictators do is he captured he captured something in those people that gave them hope that there was a an opportunity for them to, you know, maybe stand up and be counted because they don't feel like they are. So there's there's that to be understood, you know, the idea. Why would somebody feel the way they feel? And, uh, you know, the, the irony is, is that Donald Trump, you know, would have nothing to do with those people. Yeah, that is the irony. You know, the fact that they found as their savior some guy, some fancy man, some fancy man from New York City is another thing that I still find fascinating. That he's the guy from TV was enough for them. Yeah, the guy with the weird haircut. Oh my god, <laughs> all of it. The weird yes. haircut. You know. You know. I mean. I know you're. a a man of faith, but how are these people led around by a guy who's been married three times and accusations of, oh, of yeah, um, sexual, all this stuff? How is that their guy? And, and that's another conversation. So, I don't know. Well, the word you used was really a key there, the savior. Oh, yeah. A lot of people view him as the guy who's going to wrestle their country back from the uppity black people and the all the elite people the liberals who want to make it socialism and the lawyers and the corporate people who've moved all the manufacturing to mexico and china and that's why i don't have a job anymore and i don't have a voice yeah i don't view those people as evil who stormed the capital i think you're you have a really good insight there yeah, those people like they glommed on to this guy as somebody to give them hope, and that's all anyone ever wants. Yeah, in a sense of hope and to be Something heard, and to get you go forward. Yeah, that's that's one, to be heard. That really that's interesting because to me, 
that's one of our greatest wants in the world. We want it is just to be heard. It's like we're still five years old. Watch me, Daddy. How mm-hmm. am I doing, Daddy? <laughs> well, you know, if one of the books I read, and I, I'm, I'm, I know I've mentioned, Humble and Fred uh, listeners know I've mentioned it every day, but, you know, I read Bob Woodward's book. Um, his Trump book? His Trump book. But the, oh. the book I read that has the most insight uh, about Trump that, that I thought was the Trump, uh, his niece, Mary Trump. And yeah, now I she, you know, that. you hear her all over CNN and NBC and such, but, you know, that her basically she created you know her book is basically about how the family created the most dangerous man in the world yep and it all came down to you know he wanting to please his daddy and his daddy you know Mary Trump's father was supposed to be the heir apparent but he he didn't have the stomach for it mm-hmm. and so Donald was the chosen one in the family but you know the reason that this has all happened this last you know the last few episodes of the Trump show are because Donald Trump's brain is not wired for admitting defeat and learning from it his whole life has been a a series of failures you know the thing about those people that follow him that i do think is their fault is that it's it's easily googleable what this man is really like but what he did and this is the last thing i want to say about it the smartest thing that donald trump ever did much like the devil when he went down to Georgia. The, the, the greatest scam the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Mm. And the greatest scam that Donald Trump ever pulled, well, partly was to convince those people that he was, you know, one of them. But, but that's the thing is he, he can, the, the, the real thing I wanted to say was the genius of Donald Trump is that he convinced them that anything in the news was fake. And once you can say it's fake, like even the Georgia runoff election, after all the the um, the voting, you know, they the, they said that the, so they had poll watchers, they had the most strict voting guidelines. But because Democrats won instantly on social media, those followers of Trump were like, well, it's fake. The, the election was rigged again. That's the yep. genius of Donald Trump. And that's all I have to say. Absolutely. And so I'll just. Uh, I think really what the so much of the danger is is that we just have a lack of being able to think critically, to really think, take some information in and go, really is that true or not? And partially it is. It's partially it's because of the you know the internet. I've been reading some interesting things about from some really tech, smart tech people, and the, the and sort of in the old days, you had gatekeepers about it, information. So you, that would be media people whose job it was is to make sure that things were balanced and all that. And, and bias has is been here forever. But because now, because you've got social media and all the, and this Internet, you can put anything out there and no one's – it'll just go through this silo of people all think the same way. Yeah. And it just gets uh, – And so, yeah, the chosen one. The Savior says it's fake news. Everyone else says it's fake news. And, and that becomes the belief system. You know, just I know I said it was the last thing I was going to say, but here's an example of what you said. So last Saturday, you know, like so much happens in the Trump verse, the Trump universe, that last Saturday there was an hour long phone call where the president of the United yeah. States was asking for elections results to be. That's the fraud. That was that was on Saturday. 
Yeah. And here's the difference between, you know, people say, well, CNN's as biased as Fox. And I go, well, no, it's not, because on Fox, they didn't even mention that story. Mm. That's the problem. It was the it was buried 10 minutes into the top hour newscast. They didn't even get to it. Whereas it's the lead story on regular media, but on state run Fox, it, it was they suppress that. So, run Fox, and again, that. you know, you know, this term a lot of people have used the term gaslighting this year. It's a, it's a term that has become on vogue in the in the in the time of Trump. But what it really means is to make you think you're crazy for thinking what you think, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Fox does. It gaslights its audience because by by not talking about the president trying to overturn the, the results of election being caught on you know what their you know what their story was well what kind of man records a conversation <laughs> that's exactly. that's your takeaway that's yeah. the that's the difference right there the president is trying to lean on a secretary of state a republican secretary of state to overturn some election results and the fox story was well who who should record a tape that, that's not right okay okay right <laughs> All right, so should, you, uh, should we talk a little golf here, Mr. O'Connor? Yeah. Um, let's yeah. begin with the last thing you told me, which is this book you're reading. Uh, the name of the book is called? I believe it's called A Constraints-Led Approach to Golf Coaching. A now, Constraints-Led Approach. Golf, I like that. A Constraints-Led Approach to Golf Coaching. Isn't that super sexy? Don't you just... I don't know what to do with that right now. Listeners, don't you all just want to go to Amazon? Yes, a constraints-led... I've already forgot the title. (laughs) I'm looking it up right now. A constraints-led approach to golf coaching. There it is. By Graham McDowell. And, And it's not the Graham McDowell... Uh, who plays on the PJ Tour? It's another Graham McDowell. Interesting. Unfortunate for him. Two golf professionals and an academic. And largely, what it's the, the main thesis of it is that we are formed by our environment. So, as a golfer, what I'm trying to do when I'm on a golf course, I you know, I'm not trying to make a perfect swing. I'm not trying to make put a good stroke on it. What I'm doing is reacting to my environment. It's and it's like I have a shot so I, I'm presented with with uh, a situation where there's some water here, there's a green here, there's a bunker there and I, and I'm it's all about reacting to the constraints that are that are around me. And that is how we respond to our environment and how our body organizes itself to make a motion so that the ball will go where we want it to go. And why I've really been enjoying this book is that it's helped me to kind of piece a whole bunch of things together, all the way going back to Timothy Galway in '74 in her game of tennis, all to you know to the discussions we've had with our friends such as Carl Morris, Ed Cullen, around how. Really, if we can kind of get ourselves out of this culture of refine your technique, move your body a certain way, match this model, it's really shown that the neuroscience and the act and, and and the people like Gabriel Wolf has shown that okay, you could keep you could keep trying to 
get your elbow in the right spot and supinate and pronate and all that till the cows come home. But you're not going to have fun and hit golf shots unless you're reacting to your environment around the constraints that are there. Isn't that interesting? And how do you how do you um, how do you suppose? Well, first of all, how deep into the book are you? I've just about finished it. Really? <laughs> it's is, a short. Did book. you buy a book book, or did you buy it on Kindle, or? No, my it was a Christmas present from Sandy to me. Aw, Mama and, O'Connor. Yes, yes, and um, yeah. Uh, anyways, um, so what's your question? Well, Sorry. I have a bunch of questions. I'm looking here on Amazon. The hardcover is 143 dollars. Yeah. Why it's is an that? Academic treatise. It's 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 because it's by it's largely by a publishing house that's largely uh, academically based. I see. Okay. So what what are some of the j- just to walk me through you know and walk us through some of the like how will you use this or how could a coach use this or how could a player use this in terms of a. Um, you know, a different way of looking at how we're trying to learn this motion. Okay. So let's say, um, let's say you want to work on becoming better at your short game, particularly uh, chip shots. Okay. Okay. So the standard thing that many people will do is they will think about, okay, is my weight on my, if you're a right-hander, is my weight on my left foot, is my left wrist firm is do I have a hinge uh, am I hitting down through the ball and on and on and on which is a pretty standard thing that we do we, we invest ourselves in technique uh, and, and all of those types of things whereas this approach would be okay what do we actually face here and so if we're chipping we'll say like okay let's say we're, we're about 10 feet off the green and we've got some grass in the way there it's a bluegrass rough, and the the hole is about say thirty feet onto the green. So when you look at that, you would go like, okay, I've got to get it over this this area of grass here, and I want to get it onto the green. And because it's about this far, I, my feeling is that I'm going to have to land it maybe about three feet on, and then it's going to roll. Okay, so far I understand. And you set up, you take a look. And, and you make a few you make a few swings, and then basically you let your body do what it thinks it needs to do. You just let it go. Think is the wrong word. You allow your body to make a motion towards this target, and the science shows that you're much more capable of hitting a shot that will turn out pretty well than if you're thinking about your left wrist. Being right, firm and your right wrist hinging. But Mr. O'Connor, a question here, Howard Glassman. Uh, swing thoughts. One hundred and forty-three dollars uh, is a lot of money. Basically, you've just summed up, you know, what we've said, you know, three hundred different ways you can't do golf while yep. thinking about how to do golf. Mm-hmm. And so, I want you to get your, you know, if it wasn't a Christmas present, no, I'm just kidding. Um, that's a Actually, great. I got the soft cover. The soft cover version is about a hundred dollars cheaper than. Yes, that, it is. So. Um, but so it, it sounds to me like another version of kind of the uh, raison, the reason to be on the swing thoughts 
uh, roster. Yes. Um, but maybe some new ways to. I, I mean, I, and I've I've often debated with you and others about. Well, you need to know that if you're if you're making a certain type of chip shot or a pitch shot, and you want to have it spin a little bit. You know, there's a technique to doing that, and you should learn it. But you can't be thinking about how to do that technique. Wait on the left side, hands ahead. You know, there's a bunch of different little shots you can hit. The 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 takeaway for me from what you said is again, you once you have that down somewhat, you can't be thinking about how to do that while trying to make the ball go somewhere. I agree, a hundred percent. But I also think that what we do is we we get in our own way. Yep by thinking, intellectualizing what we think we should do and that, you know, I need to release my, you know, a, a thing that uh, a new th- thing that came to me in the last couple Okay, you're just freezing up there a little bit. Tim, start that sentence. Releasing the club start that the ball. Start that sentence again because you just had a little bit of a glitch there okay. in, the, in the matrix. You said you were saying the thing that came to you recently. Well, a few years, a couple of years ago, it was. I always felt like, let's say, for a bunker shot, I right. had to maintain my hands all the way through. And and what I started to read was was a more feeling of of almost like releasing the club, like like my because I'm right handed. I always thought the kiss of death was that your left wrist would fold like cup. What in the bunker? A, yeah, yeah. That you had to keep a flat left wrist, and I started to think, oh no, you need to just kind of let it let it go. So that's a pretty standard approach to golf instruction. You could go on YouTube yeah. and find all kinds of stuff that are telling you similar things. Let yourself do that. And so, like everyone, like many other people, I'll go down this, you know, the rabbit hole. We've used this very often of this is the thing I need to do. The thing I need to do, like this technique thing, lasts. It might last a round. It might last a couple of days. But then... A week later, I'm on to something else because those techniques never stay. They, they, they come, they go, and they're replaced by a new swing thought, mm-hmm. if you will. Whereas, I think through my own experience, through your experience, through people like Gabriel Wolf and others, uh, Ed Collins, is what leads to more lasting and genuine improvement is when we allow our bodies to, to react to the environment and we have these experiences that are totally our own, so we own them. So as I'm, say, in a bunker and I'm feeling it, wow, what am I feeling here? Oh, that's an interesting feeling. Now I own that feeling mm-hmm. in my body because I've experienced as opposed to it being an intellectual exercise. And so I'm just going to finish off this with, so one of the pieces that was so cool in this book so they did an experiment. I forget who did it. And they had two groups of baseball players. And one group of baseball players looking to uh, get more, um, lo- hit the ball further, more distance, but also higher. So they wouldn't get so many ground outs and mm-hmm. those types of things. More home runs, more doubles, etc. One group was given instructions such as, I'm not a baseball guy, but let's say rotate, stay behind the ball, do this with your elbow, do that with your wrist. Technical stuff. Very technical, yeah. Then they had a group in which basically what they did was they put a wall in front of them and say, hit the ball over the wall. And 
the research showed that by far the players who were trying to hit the ball over the wall, they hit the ball with more power and they hit the, hit the ball higher in the air and that the players given the, the instruction, the technical stuff, all declined in their abilities. Really? Yeah, and this stuff is proved over and over I'm, again. I'm not surprised, but um, it is so interesting. Think, so the academics, what's interesting to me is that, and I was making, so when I read, so when Timothy Galway's book, Inner Game of Tennis, came out, which is basically, that, the, 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 the role of coaching exploded with that book. You know, how to stay out of your own way. You know, how not to, how not to self-interfere. They didn't really know why it worked. But you, through the work of people like Gabriel Wolf, academics like Ed Collins, our friend, there's, there's an increasing body of research and awareness that says that that old technique stuff, man, that's, it can be some short-term benefit, but the genuine way to lasting improvement is when you experience things and you allow your body to respond to the environment. So those are things that, that just came home to me in this book. And it really just helped me understand a little bit more of what our good friend Ed Collins has been saying about adaptability mm-hmm. and solving the puzzle in front of us. Um, I agree to all of it. I mean, there are, you know, someone listening might say, okay, if I'm in a bunker and I don't know how to hit a bunker shot, well, feeling and being aware of the environment isn't going to help me get the ball out of the bunker they're going to have to have some semblance of an idea of how to hit a bunker shot. Give me an example. What do you mean? Well, if I put you in a bunker and there's uh, and you don't know how to hit a bunker shot, you know, feeling having great feelings about the experience aren't going to help you learn to hit a bunker shot. Okay, but if you started so if you started golf as it really it makes a ton of sense. I'm just watching a guy carry his cat. It's <laughs> hilarious. The cat's kind of like <laughs> First of all, why? My question was: Be what? What guy is carrying his cat in Guelph this morning? And he's wearing shorts on January eighth. Oh, good um, for him. That I endorse. Okay, I, I don't want to get too deep into this because there's other things we need to talk about. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if like you're learning golf, it's like okay, you're going to start with putting. You can start I, reacting to targets. Yeah, I, I know, but don't, just don't, don't don't go through oh, the this. whole game. Just no, you're going to go through. So I'm getting to you're going to as you learn in increments. <laughs> yes, you're going to eventually learn how to how you're going to get in the book. And yes, for sure, at a certain point, your dad or your buddy, your somebody. Says, well, you got to hit behind the ball, and you and you're going to do that stuff. And you're going to learn. Uh, just stuff. remember, I said I, I agree with you. Don't don't get defensive about your very expensive book. It just. <laughs> You know, someone listening is going to say that. They're going to think, well, that's good and well, because you already know some of the basics to bunker play. But I know uh, the, the takeaway for me. do and all these things. They know the basic things. Not everyone does. And a lot of people struggle. Not everyone listening, you know, is a great bunker player like yourself, no. apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I know, you know, from, you know, being a lifetime tinkerer, you know, I can uh, I see something, uh, you know, about bunker play. I'm like, oh, I for- with me, it's never. It's usually with me. It's like, oh, I forgot about that thing. You know, like, but but that I think you experienced that thing I had experienced years ago. That yeah. Um, but that's a, you know the the problem with our game. The problem with the game is that 
you know, like if we're playing ping pong, there's only a couple things yeah. I can do. You know, I can cut it a little bit or I can do a little spike or I can, you know, do a soft one just over the net. But in golf, there's there's chip shots, there's pitch shots, there's bunker shots, there's lob shots, there's cuts. It, it's an endless array of some technical knowledge that you to your point that you're best left to synthesize through how it feels to you as the takeaway as opposed to trying to remember the laundry list of things you need to do to hit a bump and run pitch shot yeah and I totally agree with that 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 those lessons learned sort of when you create new myelin uh about a, a technical thing, then it's yours forever. You don't need to. It's always going to be there because you 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 have it feeling somewhere in your body. I totally agree. You experienced it. And you yeah, experienced the majority it. of people, for sure. You're you're gonna enter this game, and you know, certain point, your uncle, your dad, your mom, whatever, showed you how to do certain things, and you're gonna watch other players, and you're gonna ask questions, and so you'll get a semblance of technique. But at a certain point, you if you want to take your game further. It's about it's about your own experiences. Absolutely. Okay. Um, before, I don't remember anything else on your list, but I, I wanted to tell you something. I, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show about um, one of the big debates, and, and it's one of the stories that people are going to be watching in 2021 when it comes to golf. And that is distance. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, you mentioned, are other players going to bulk up and start doing protein. It's funny because I, when I was watching the uh, tournament last night from Hawaii, Maui, have you ever, quickly, have you ever been to Hawaii? It's just stunning. No, I have never. Yeah, it's something else. I mean, you know, being from Western Canada, <clears throat> you know, I'd never been to Florida till I moved out here 30 years ago because Western oh, Canadians, yeah, yeah. you know, we tend to go to Arizona or Hawaii or maybe Mexico, but it's stunning. And I'm watching Bryson DeChambeau, and, you know, he's even looks bigger now. And, wow. And, um, and then I saw, you know, a bunch of the other tour players. And I just don't see Justin Thomas <laughs> bulking up from his 150 pounds to 200 pounds. I don't see that happening. I think yeah. there's always going to be outliers in our sport, uh, and that's what he is. And I think that... Others will adopt certain technical things that he's working on, which is where I want to get to. Mm. But I don't see we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see a wholesale change. Now, that being said, there has been a change since the time of Tiger. You know, you look yeah. at some of the players that were regular tour members when Tiger came on the scene. You don't see any Craig Stadler bodies anymore. Very few. Yep. Uh, the last one I can remember was um, his son, basically. But I Kevin's think dad. Kevin and uh, Colt Nost was another guy that carried some weight. Carl Pedersen. Carl. Yeah. Um, and now there's this guy, Harry Hogue. Yeah. I like him, by the way. The guy with the sunglasses. Oh, who was the guy from Wisconsin or something? It's so funny. I love that guy. I think that's who I'm. Uh, maybe that's not the guy I mean, but he's kind of no, a cool no. guy, bit of a chubby guy with sunglasses on all the time. Bit of an, uh, a, a nice attitude, different kind of character. Yeah, again, I feel like here we are, combined age 123. Can't think of names. Yeah, I know. 
Doesn't it's like, hey, did you guys hear that show where the two old guys are trying to remember people's names? <laughs> yeah. You know, Buddy at the place, we talked about the thing. Yeah. Um, no, I, you, I think you're absolutely right. I think that what happens over time is we take little bits from things that we've learned and, and seen. And, you know, to your point, Tiger came and... You know, the weight training came to golf, and Annika Sorenstam, same thing. And so gradually over time, you see this change. And so, yeah, maybe over time you're going to see um, players maybe a little bit more bulked, but they're not going to, you know, Bryson is a, <laughs> here, here, here's something that's no doubt obvious, a special individual. I mean, he doesn't do, he doesn't do anything by half measure. He just dove right in. Uh, Jim Nance did a nice piece in Golf Digest about spending time with Bryce DeChambeau, and you know that it actually he's a nice person, but he goes way over the top on everything. Yeah. By the way, a lot of the other players were not going to automatically. (laughs) By the way, change their diets. Not this group of players, but there's going to be a group of players just like there was when Tiger was in his prime. There's going to be some young guys looking at at Bryce and DeChambeau, going, hmm. Exactly. Maybe I'll I'll go that route. By the way, the guy I'm thinking of is Harry Higgs, mm. the guy with the uh, sunglasses. Anyway, and I still haven't come up with a guy I'm thinking about. Okay. Um. um so here's what I heard <laughs> about distance, and and again, you know, I've had this. I don't know about you, but I've had this thought recently. You know, I'm going to turn 61 uh, in the next couple of weeks. And, and you're 62 or 63. My question Three. to guys like us, mm-hmm. you know, when do we move up to a different tee box? Beauty question. You go first. <laughs> well, I just want to leave it there for a second because, you know, I have so, I, I think a lot, I've thought a lot about this. I mean, part of it is ego and part of it is, well, all of it's ego, I guess. And, and I think to myself, okay, I'm still long enough to play whatever tees I want. I played the junior club championship, not the teenagers, but, you know, the regular club championship. And the distance wasn't so much for me at, you know, 6,900 yards. But the, the truth is, when I play with senior guys in senior tournaments at 63 and 6,400 yards, you know, it's a... It's a different game for me. I'm hitting driver nine iron into par fours. I'm hitting all the par fives in two. You know, I, I'm i longer than most of those guys. And, and But I, I thought, you know, what, what? why wouldn't I play forward tees? Like, what am I, what am I hanging on for? What are your thoughts? Um, so, last, so I play at Blue Springs, and... The Golds, uh, we sort of have. I was in a group that played the Golds every Saturday morning, and so about sixty-eight hundred, I think. Yeah. Sixty-seven to sixty-eight, anyways. And there's a couple times I'm going like, okay, well, what is a sixty-three-year-old man doing on a back tee of a hole that's playing, you know, four forty, four fifty, like? But what I did my best around was um, just sort of disassociating myself from the score because what I found was is that when I played the blue tees it was like wow this is really fun this is a lot easier so I kind of looked at it as an experience playing the back tees that I could 
you know, I could, it was harder, uh, more strategic, uh, all that, that type of thing, more pressure on me. But I, if I was able to just not get caught up in, oh, I, I should be scoring this and that. Because when I did go to play the the blue tees and especially the white tees for the senior stuff, it was like just licking my chops. Well, it's something I'm going to think about. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. You know, I like, I love the game and I don't want to be hitting, you know, I don't necessarily want to be hitting nine irons and eight irons into par fours. But even at 6,600 yards, you know, basically anything in the 420 or under range on a par four is is pretty manageable for me. My average drives, you know, I, I you know I could give you my exact stats, but who cares? But my average drives are in the two sixty to two seventy range. So on a four hundred and twenty yard par four, I've got one hundred and fifty yards in, and depending on where the flag is, that's either a a, a nice easy eight iron or I can fly an iron iron one thirty five and whatever. You know what I mean? It's when I start playing, like when we played the early bird late last fall, you know, I was hitting a lot of long irons into, into par fours and some, you know, it was a, it was a real slog. Now, it was, a, it was an ex, you know, it was, of course, it had the extra intrigue of it being no roll and eight degrees, but, yeah. you know, I, I just thought I'd bring that up because we're talking about distance and the game of amateur golf is always going to be different than the game of professional golf. Having now said that, I, I think what we're going to see, whether it's Brandel Chambly or the other longer hitters, we're going to see prodigious distances, and we're just going to have to get used to it. I know a lot of guys our age, one of my best buddies is like, oh, they're wrecking the game. And I'm like, well, old people have been saying that since Fat Jack came on the scene in 61. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Well, I also wonder, is this the year that the ruling bodies, USGA and the RNA, finally come down and say, we're going to have a, we're going we're gonna to roll the, the distance back on the ball. Maybe there's bifurcation or, or whatever, because they haven't, was it, was it in 2018 that they came down with that kind of, I don't know what you call it, the white paper or working paper about saying, in essence, this is what's happening and we're, we're looking at this and there's been the discussions and Obviously, uh, well, not surprisingly, the manufacturers, Titleist, said, no, 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 it's fine. Don't roll the ball back. But I'm, I'm hoping they do. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little segue uh, thing here for you. Because imagine in, in other sports, whether it's basketball, hockey, or baseball, where the manufacturers were the ones telling the sport, you know, what the dimensions and, you know, physical limitations would be for the ball. And I think that's where, you know, people, I, I also have an opinion about that, that I think that there's the professional game, as I said. And, and for amateurs, obviously, you know, there might have to be a different set of rules because we don't play. I don't play professional baseball. I don't expect to use the same ball that they use. You know, it's sort of weird in a way. Absolutely, it's weird. They play a completely different game, completely different game. I don't get the bifurcation people who are opponents to it. I don't, just don't get it. So now the segue is Brandel Chambly, Golf Channel. He had this great take about distance, and it has to do with baseball. So here it is. Cool. So one of the things that people have lost in the Bryson DeChambeau conversation is they sort of focus on him bulking up. But what he also has done 
is he has incorporated some of the techniques that have been used and, and are being used by the longest drivers of golf balls on planet Earth, and that's long drive guys. I mean, that's it's just you can see it in his motion. He's doing some things, whether it's speed training or the, the physical stuff, but he has changed his motion a little bit um, to incorporate some of those techniques. And what Chambly said was this. He said, imagine years ago, Nolan Ryan at the time was one of the fastest throwing pitchers in the major leagues, throwed around 100, 102 miles an hour. He said, but imagine this. There were 15 guys outside of professional baseball that could throw at 120. You don't think Nolan would try and learn some of those techniques? And, and that's what I think we're going to see in golfers on the professional tours. They're going to start to, some young kids are going to start to figure out that in order to hit it further, they got to let that left um uh, he'll come up. They've got to do that thing where they extend in, in a way that you and I. Can, if I did it, you did it. We we would be in the we'd be an emergency. But I think that's the influence that Bryson DeChambeau is going to be. He's opened the door now to to incorporate some long drive training and techniques. This is what I thought was so smart of Chambly. I'm like, yeah, man, that baseball analogy totally makes sense. I get it. No, it's 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 going to happen. I mean, and it's back to our, you know, how did Tiger change the game? But weight training, weight training used to be thought as detrimental. Right. Johnny Miller uh, talked about whoa, you know, because Johnny Miller went through an experience where he took time off from the tour, he helped build his ranch, changed his body, and then he couldn't swing. So it was a common belief that golfers don't do weight training. It's all about your flexibility. Right. Tiger and Annika blew that out of the water, and Bryson DeChambeau is blowing some preconceptions out of the water, too. Um, interesting is that you still got players who... So he bulked up, and players like Gary Woodland went the other way. Now, Gary Woodland didn't have a great great year last year, but it, it's all it's all growing. And, like, I don't know. It's like I think one of the key things you're going to see this year more and more is players experimenting with the length of the driver shaft. Yep. Um because yeah, it just it just makes sense in terms of the science. You got a longer shaft, um, you're going to create more speed. Obviously, the um, the balance is that. How much control do you lose? But the the again back to and this is you know back to the constraints book. It just shows that the science in the numbers, uh, shot link, all that good stuff is that it's about distance. You the further you hit the ball, the better you're going to score. Yeah. And that's why I say, you know, at some point, and I don't know when it is, but um, I hope I have the presence of mind and the ego, you know, balance to to move up. You know, I played a lot of golf from the back tees, and then I, you know, moved up to the blue tees, and you know, I went from playing courses around sixty eight, sixty seven, sixty nine hundred to sixty six, sixty five, sixty four, and like I said, I play a lot of senior events, you know, between sixty three fifty and sixty four fifty, and that's fine for me. And I, you know, at some point, you just have to go. Well, that's what that's the golf course I should be playing. Yeah, I just try and keep a matter of like what's fun for me, right? And so when I when I play the gold tees uh, at Blue Springs, I, it, well, all the guys I played with are now at your course at Glencairn. But you know, I I knew that 
putting in my 20 bucks was largely a donation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just, but it was part of it, and it was fun to be in the experience, even of just watching the money being divvied up and given to other people <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. But it, it's like, whatever it is, is fun. And that was kind of like the, um, I don't know, the trade-off I made last year. It'd be interesting what I what I want to do this year. But, um, yeah. Uh, but like I said, I think a lot of the men and women that, you know, have listened to this show, I, I'm, I'm sure some of them have started thinking like, you know, when, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to stop wanting to see how far I can hit it. I still like hitting it far. I, uh, oh, I but I, I, I think I want to, I also, you know, I, I played a, a round of golf with this um, very fine you know, former professional uh, amateur golfer that we both know, Lars Melander. Oh, and yeah. Lars is 68 years old, and he's a really, really fine player. And I played with him uh, toward the end of the season, and I just love watching his game. You know, he hits it very straight and hits it far enough. Mm-hmm. Doesn't hit it as far as me, but isn't far off. I'm not 60 yards ahead of him. You know, I'm 15, 20 ahead of him on average. Maybe a club or two difference. But, man, I love his game. And I thought to myself, you know, if I, I, if I could be playing like Lars at 68, 69, and 70, you know, that's a good game to play. Oh, you know? yeah. That's well, a nice I know, game. I know a guy who plays a lot of golf with Lars, like almost like played once a week with him this year. And this is like a guy owns his swing. Yeah. And, and by the way, it's funny with Lars. You know, he loves to tinker and he loves to talk. And he's really yep. what I love about Lars is that he doesn't care. You know, if you're not, he always asks me. You know, he's what do you think of this? And he's working on something. But just his regular game at 68 years old is a nice game, and he can play. You know, all those uh, senior amateur tournaments that we play in. And, you know, he does way better than me. And, and I've said this on the show. One of the things I wanted in 2020 was to be more like Lars and not try and hit every tee shot as far as I can. I just wanted to hit more fairways, you know. And, and, and so I, I sort of looked to him and think, well, I guess as long as he's at some point, he started playing the white tees. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we have a few more minutes, Mr. O'Connor. Let's wrap it up in about ten minutes. What uh, what was quickly else? What else was on your agenda? Um, I'm not sure. We don't, I don't think we really have time to go into it. I wanted to kind of uh, talk about. I think something our our, fan, our fans can do in terms of a, a look back at 2020 right. and planning for 2021. But um, I don't really. Well, we've got the whole month of January for that type of exactly, uh, planning. Exactly. No, I want to throw this out to you, given what we've talked about, and I almost feel this is contra- contradictory. But I'm going to exper- so I'm going to see my uh, my my golf coach guy, Mike Mark, on Wednesday. <laughs> You're just so funny. I don't know you know, my golf guru, the teacher, but he's not. I don't. Uh, I'm not really into the technical side, but <laughs> exactly. uh, anyway. All so, right. What well, we're gonna what we're gonna what are you working at? on? Speed training. Who? Speed oh, training. Oh, you're going to you want to get faster. Everyone's doing that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I just, I thought, well, I went to, I remember in 20, yeah, 2019, uh, PGA of Canada um, conference. There was a guy, a guy there from speed training. Yeah. Uh, one of the coaches, the assistant coaches of the Windsor Lancer uh, University golf team. He, he's way into it. And I just, I'm just really curious because one of the things that I've always felt 
is that uh, like when I was one of my things is you know I've always been so careful in my life and try and do everything right and I always thought you had to have a smooth swing and all of that and I think that a lot of times I would just hold back mm-hmm. instead of just let's just rip it let's have some fun that's part of the fun of golf is taking a rip and so I just thought well let's experiment with this so I'm going to go over to see Mike at uh, I think they call it the Ontario Academy of Golf or something like that at Whistle Bear on Wednesday and uh, I'll report back well, I can tell you a couple of years ago, I bought the uh, swing speed uh, sticks, the ones that oh, you see on the, TV. Yeah, well, that's what I guess that's what uh, we're going to. Yeah. So I had them, uh, used them, and then I've given them to a friend of mine this winter who's like, I want to get my club head speed faster. I'm like, here, go, go and do that. Uh, again, well, not. What was your experience? What well, was your experience? my experience was like anything else, you know, if you're. If we're, uh, you know, it's like anything else in golf, or anything else for that matter. If you're really interested in doing it, you'll do it, you know. And, and whatever your club head speed is, to start with, I guarantee you, if you, you know, stuck to the regimen and didn't hurt yourself, mm. um, which is, again, you know, the diminishing returns about being in 60-year-old meat sacks, <laughs> is that the kind of the kind of speed that is part of the training regimen, you know, I I just felt like it wasn't, the best for my body mm. and you know but 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 having said that if you did it like if you if you follow their regime you will get faster club head speed now will that translate to your everyday game that i don't know on on the range though i was really this was when i i was using them a lot when i was uh working with um Scott Cokes a little bit for that oh, yeah. that period of time and i was hitting the ball way further but it didn't really translate into my my actual game, but you know that was my experience. Yeah, I let uh, my buddy borrow. It's so funny. I wish I'd have known because I would have let you borrow them first. You know, you could have had them. All right. Well, what I'm interested in is exploring is the the increase in in say freedom I'm going to experience. Yeah, because I really think that uh, so much through my golf life, it was I was always like careful and just like I'm in my. Uh, the rest of my life and you know that's you know why do I do the things I do now as a coach and things is because you know what I just I'm tired of going through life feeling like I've got my foot over the brake <laughs> you know, always looking for the amber light metaphorically if you yeah will. I hear you so I just want to experience the see what it's like to take a rip and just feel like more freedom there one thing you will experience and and uh, a long drive guy said this to me when I was down in Phoenix last year, but he said that hitting the ball longer is getting comfortable swinging the club faster. Exactly. And and if nothing else, you just your new normal, your sort of uh, thermometer of speed will be reset. Now, will it be fifteen new yards? I don't know. Could be. But it will definitely, you know, you'll definitely up your your abandon a little bit because that's what it's all about. There's two things that swing that speed swing training is. One is getting used to, you know, doing the whole motion a little bit faster. But there's some technical stuff in there that I think is good for everybody, whether you're going to increase your club head speed or not. I so, love that word abandon. I, yeah. I love that. And, and that's the thing that I'm really curious about. And that's what is really driving this, is, that, is the curiosity. 
And I also want to experience that whole business that um, Fred Shoemaker talked about. And it was, like, really funny. Our good friend George McNamara was saying, uh, yeah, Fred's <laughs> – I think it was 2019 or maybe last year. His, his goal was to increase the speed of his backswing. Yeah. <laughs> and that just seemed so so – Contrary to all the stuff we've heard about low and slow and all that stuff, all that stuff that I just, you know, ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner back. Well, think about it, and, and I and I I notice this every time Shambo tees off, but I want you and listeners to just think about what he does in his pre-shot routine with his driver, and what he's doing is part of the swing speed training. You can't hit the ball farther unless your practice swing is faster and harder. So you watch, he, he takes two swings, and he just rips it. This is why I'm saying, like, my arms hurt just watching him. They do. I've got, you know, this last couple of months, I haven't really uh, made a lot of golf swings because my both of my rotator cuffs, my left elbow, both of my knees, I'm just sore all the time. But But that doesn't matter. That's being 60-year-old guy. I can tell you that there is, you know, you can't hit it further unless your backswing is faster, unless your whole motion is faster. Makes sense, totally. The only downside of it is, you know, physically, I, I, you know, I think you can, you have to be careful, but also, you know, it, it sort of goes against, for me at least, you know, I, I know, I'm no longer interested on the golf course. Like I say, I hit it far enough for me anyway um, to sort of see how far I can hit it. It's more about how far can I hit it and keep it in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's totally a, I think it's a worthy quest, uh, Don uh, O'Connor. <laughs> a quest? Yeah, a it's, quest. A, it's a worthy quest. That's all it is. We have to have some sort of orchestral music uh, going when you uh, <laughs> want a quest. It's not just something I'm going to do. A quest is something. It's a quest. No you don't you don't enter it into lightly. No. It's not going for a walk at lunch hour, buddy. It's a worthy quest for more distance. It's a uh, and I will be it's a discovery. And I I want you to report back on what he uh, captures your swing speed at, and then where you where you going and. You know what? You know they. What is it? Every mile an hour is two yards. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the things I I was trying to think. There's a piece you said a couple times, and I, and I really like it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got the hems going today. Is that when PGA Tour players? This is your observation, and so I want to learn more about it. Is they they let it go. It's not a careful swing. No. And so if they hit it 10 miles into the woods, that's fine. Uh, but most of the time, by letting it rip, they're going to they're gonna get it down there, and it's going to be imminently findable. Yeah. So I want to just sort of – I just want to sort of have an experience that's a bit more like that. Like I said, I'm curious about experiencing more freedom. In, in my swing, and I just love that word of abandon. Like to, to me, why that resonates is that so much of what historically in my golf, in my writing, in music, all this is I've been extraordinarily careful and you know, be a good boy and do it the right way, match the model, all that stuff. And I'm just coming to a place in all different facets of my life where I say, screw that, let's just let's just 
Let's have some fun here. Let's, let's experience some more freedom. Well, you can experience freedom uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, obviously, you know, learning to make your motion faster will definitely, you'll have to give up some control. I mean, you know, one of the, I've never met George, New, George Knudsen, but I have quoted him a thousand times. You have to give up control to gain control. What, yeah. One of the reasons this game is so tough, one of the million reasons it's the toughest game on the earth is because people try and carefully, yep. they try and, which you, I love that phrase you just used, the, uh, you know, match the model. You know, that's what golf, whether you're good or you're just new, all of us are trying to match some archetype model we were told that you needed to get to your hands in whatever in a certain position. But you can experience freedom in your golf swing if you're over a golf ball and you just don't give a shit where it goes. I mean, one of the things that Charles and I, Charlie Fitzsimmons and I worked on, this goes back to 2017 when he and I went out west for the uh, mid-am. Is is are, if you're over a golf shot, are you are you okay? Truly okay with wherever it goes, because most of us aren't truly okay with wherever it goes because we hold back, we are careful, we don't release it. Except, I mean, it, you know, your body reacts to what your brain is giving it, right? So absolutely. And so maybe in your quest, and I'll call it that again, in your quest for more for more speed, you'll also experience. The letting go, the notion of, well, I'm just going to get up here and hit it. Wherever it goes, I'll find it and hit it again. Right. Well, that's, that, that harkens back to our discussion with uh, Steve Yellen uh, late uh, in 2020 uh, that, you know, before you hit a ball, can you go to a 10 level of acceptance mm. for hitting? Yeah. I think it's the same thing. So the quest is about freedom, but I want to make clear that I'm not heading to a midlife crisis. <laughs> you, you, I not, buddy, I got news for you. You passed midlife a long time ago. You know, so I'm not looking at I'm not looking at convertibles. Okay. My relationship with Sandy's great. All right. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, just, um, I, just, I just had this sense of like people are like, oh, my God. No. No, listen. It's golfers, man. I, every guy listening right now is going, where do I get them swing speed? Uh, where do I get them swing sticks? What, uh, can I go see Mike Martz? I wish I could have uh, borrowed them from Howard before he gave them away. Yeah. I, I wish I would have. But, but like I said, the guy that I lent them to, you know, is very, his, his, he is a really, a very, he's much like me, very obsessive. And he will use them every day from now until spring. And, oh, he, and he'll pick up. I, I know he's going to pick up. You know, he swings it around 95, 96 now with his driver, and he wants to get to 100. I guarantee he'll get there. But what that is, is a gain of eight yards. It's eight yards for three months. And it, he's 51. It, he isn't going from 96 to 116 or 106. Like, it, there's only so much you can do if you have a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like you can only do so much in this game, and still, and like you know, like I, I thought about it. Like you know, I, my older brother when he said, "Oh, I have to overhaul my game." I go, "Are you going to quit your job?" Because that's what it takes. Anyway, but it's a worthy quest, and I uh, command you. I command you on it. Well, thank you for listening. All right. Well, listen. Your support. I just, listen, I'm here for you, my friend. Thank God you. Damn it. I so much appreciate that. <laughs> it, it's funny. Just quickly as we... Are we, gonna clo- are we ever going to close this this podcast? It's a you long podcast like these- for two old men. 
I'm getting really tired. I'm tired. I forgot where we were. <laughs> the obsessive part. That was just like, like, I think that's who we're talking to on this podcast. I, you know, I know a guy who, who listens to like three of them a day. Three it's of just, ours a day or three podcasts a day? Three of our podcasts. Well, that's too he just, much. He just discovered <laughs> it. Much. And he's like, he's just like drinking it in the yeah. nectar of whatever. Yeah, it's too um, much. But uh, obsessive. That's that, that's. I think that's the uh, the subtext to why we do this show. No, absolutely. And and it doesn't. And, and again, first of all, side of March for me. Um, this is the longest period I've gone because I have been injured. I'm going to physio soon. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the longest period I've gone in quite some time without really. Like even with Stan, like I, I, the place I go take Stan for his walks has been the grass is available for me to pitch and chip on, and I just haven't. I've just been really mindful of trying to heal my body a bit, and also to take a step back from the obsessive nature of it. You know, like yeah, just to give it a bit of a rest, and it, I, I, it'll start ramping up. I mean, the GAO put out their yeah, I saw that their thing about tournaments. So once I start. I guess it's the first week of uh, February. So once I start to kind of go, okay, these are the tournaments I've entered, it usually starts me down the road. But, I, you know, I've been, I've been kind of nice. It's been kind of nice to be in, into something else. You know, my Christmas gift I got from one of my daughters was a subscription to the master class. You ever seen those things online? Yeah, absolutely. All these different teachers, uh, whether it's screenwriting or cooking. So I've spent most of the last three or four weeks just learning, <laughs> learning, learning new recipes, and That's great. in my obsessive That's golf great. way. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So I was learning this Ramsey recipe last week so for Gordon Ramsey for yeah. eggplant because he's one of the master class teachers. Yeah, and uh, here's here's <laughs> this is my last story today. Here's how OCD I am. Uh, I want I made the recipe. I had so it was an eggplant roasted eggplant recipe, really really cool. And um, I, you know, I was like had everything spread out, but I did it once. And as soon as I had done it, like it's quite a long process. I got another one and did it again. And my girlfriend's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm making it again." She goes, "You just made it." I said, "I know." Now I now that I've learned it, now I have to do it on my own. Oh yeah, You're one scary individual. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hey, I got one quick. So here's my. La- okay, did you want to make your point? No, that was my point. That was it. Uh, that's okay, it. That's I have one last have question say. for you. Yes, yes. Please, Timmy. please share your knowledge. Uh, um, how do you plan for the week of of what you're going to make and what you're going to buy? Do you actually sit down on Sunday and no, no, Monday through Friday, no? Or do you actually? So do you, so on Tuesday you go like, oh shit, I'm going to make this. I don't have that. Need to run. Uh, well, to with the with uh, this particular uh, session right now. I'm, uh, as as I watch the class, and then as the re- then I decide if I'm going to make the recipe, and then I go out and get the stuff. But in my regular life, uh, no, because I usually spend Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with Rachel. So one of the you know we always say, okay, what do you want to make this weekend? And then we go get it, and then we make it, and then we watch Netflix. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 that sounds lovely. <laughs> That's really See, I'm still my working life. on the. I'm still working on the uh, on the planning thing. Yeah, I don't. Sandy's plan a big planner. Oh yeah, I am not. And it's like I'm just so tired of saying, "Okay, I'm going to make this tonight." Because I'm I've been the regular cook for years and years, so I go to make this, and then I go in the cupboard, and I'm like, "Oh crap!" 
I don't have like a can of like coconut milk. Whoever has like coconut milk is a standard thing. <sighs> well, I Tim, just, I'm just looking for guidance. Well, I think uh, I think we've come to the end of this podcast today. <laughs> just, uh, I wish you the best of this new year. Uh, we'll reconvene in a couple weeks. Um, and, of course, the, the the real season starts in April when we're back on the radio. But it's always great being with you. O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Stay strong, America. We'll see you next time.